Well, I was counting or thinking this week that I've actually been doing this Christian life thing now for, are you ready for this, over 50 years? That seems like a long time, doesn't it? I've actually been doing like church life as far as ministry now for over 30 years. I grew up in a pastor's home too, so like when you add all those things together, you would think that I would be really, really, really good at this, wouldn't you? And sometimes I think I am. In fact, sometimes I think that I've gotten so good at it that I don't even know when I'm not good at it. Because it's just really easy to do what I've always done. And it's just like I've always gone to church. I've always lived in this Christian home. I've always done this for a career. And I just do this kind of like because it's just part of who I am. And the scary part, though, is that it's really easy for me to get into the realm of faking it. And maybe not even realizing that I'm faking it, though. Not intentionally. I don't go it up every morning and say, I think I'll be a fraud today. You know, that's just not how it works. But there's sometimes where, you know, you walk into the door of the church or whether you're sitting there reading your Bible or you're just going through life and you've kind of got this, you've, you've got all the routines and you've got all, it, well, I would call it almost like spiritual muscle memory. You just kind of do what you do. And I, I think that's the way that it's supposed to be, that, that we become so in, entrenched in, in our faith that it just kind of comes out in our, our natural living. And yet at the same time, I think it's easy for me to think I'm doing fine. And yet, there are times when I'm not. There are times when nothing has changed, and yet, if I'm completely honest, and if I took time to maybe peel back the layers a little bit, I might discover that something has changed. But it's not just me. You don't have to be a 50-plus-year Christian to do this, or or to be a, a PK and grow up in a pastor's home, or... You don't have to be a ministry lifer to have this problem because it's not just something that I think is me. I think it's something that is us. And I think we all struggle with this idea. So let me ask you this question this morning. Like, what are the things that you're really good at when it comes to Christianity? You know, maybe you're really good at coming to church, or maybe you're really good at reading your Bible, or maybe you're really good at, at, at giving your offerings, or, or maybe you're really good at serving and volunteering. But let me ask you this. If you start to think that you're really good at it, does that mean that you are? Or do we just kind of get into these routines and we assume that because we're in these routines that we're just doing fine. And maybe we need to stop, step back and say, hmm, maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. You know, I think in the modern church we, we've fallen into this a little bit too. We've gotten really good at doing church. And some churches more than others. But we have become um, really tuned into like best practices, I think, in the business world. And we've taken some of those and we've transferred them into the church. And, and we do some of those things and we've built systems. And, and man, church runs a whole lot better. And we have so many more tools available to us now. Things like planning center. We, we all love planning center around here. And, and it helps us do ministry more effectively. But the church as a whole, we've gotten better at branding. And we've gotten better at marketing. And we've gotten better at, at uh, 
campusing and we've gotten better at social media and we've gotten better at, at online ministry and we've gotten better at being attractional or we've gotten better at being missional and this is all good or it's all potentially good and it's potentially bad as well because we can stack up all of these strengths, whether it's me, you know, as a 50-year Christian PK ministry guy, or, or whether it's you in your faith, or whether it's us as a church here at Waterford, or whether it's us as a church universal. We can stack up all of our strengths and feel really good about ourselves and become really, really blind to some of our weaknesses and become really, really blind to an issue that I want to talk about this morning. Actually, what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about another church. Isn't that nice? We're not going to talk about our church. We're going to talk about another church this morning. And I don't think I've ever done this before where I talk about another church. And, and to be honest, I'm going to be a little bit negative this morning. And we have a lot of good churches in this community. So let me just tell you this. I'm not going to be negative about any church in this community. Um, we have great churches here and we have some great pastors here and and some great people. So I don't want to talk about a church that's local. And in fact, I don't even want to talk about a church that's American. So we're not going to be uh, too hard on, on any American churches. This church is located, or I should say was located, in Greece. And just so we're not too rough on anybody, it was like 2,000 years ago, okay? And it was in a town called Ephesus. And so we want to talk about that church this morning because that church was a great church that had a big problem. That was a church that if you look, well, let's just look at it this morning. You can find it in Revelations chapter 2. That's where we're going to go. But let me tell you a little bit about this Ephesians church, or this Ephesus church more accurately. It was in this town, Ephesus. It was a major cultural center in um, Greece, educationally, travel-wise, um, business-wise, commerce, everything kind of rolled through that city. So it was a huge, important city there. Paul went there and started a church and actually stayed for three years and got this church established. And I think it's fair to say that it was probably the best church of the New Testament time. There's not a lot that we look at that church and say, well, they, they had some big problems there. In fact, there was a point where Paul had some friends who were going to Ephesus, and he was like, hey, 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 let me, let me send a letter along with you so, you can, so I can kind of say hi to these people. And so he wrote a letter to the, the church in Ephesus, and it's the book of Ephesians in our Bible now. But if you look at the book of Ephesians, Paul's not really after any big issues. A lot of his letters he writes, and you can kind of sense that, oh, there's a problem there, and he's addressing that problem. When he sends this letter to the church in Ephesus, there's not really any big issues. His big theme, in fact, for the book, we looked at it last fall, was, hey, be united. Come together here. Don't let there become divisions among you because that will rip you apart. So, so just hang in there. But this was a really, really good church. And Paul had some great things to say. But then 35 years passed from when that letter sent. And this church gets another letter. And this letter is a little bit really not so much like a letter. It's a little bit more like a report card. Which is apropos because we just started school this week. In fact, I was talking to a couple of kids that just uh, started uh, this past uh, week heading back to school, to a new school actually. But you know, the problem with school is, well, there's a lot of problems with school. But uh, one of the problems with school is about nine weeks in, this used to be, I don't think it's true anymore, about nine weeks in you, we get the report card. Do you remember that as a kid? 
And for some people, it was like a source of great joy because they could get their report card and they could open that up and say, uh, what did you get? You know, the first kid who's asked, what did you get, means that he got a good grade, right? Because you're supposed to say, well, I got, what did you get? You know, you're supposed to ask back. And for some kids, other kids, like I knew kids growing up that report card time was great because their parents gave them like five bucks for an A and four bucks for a B and whatever like that. My, my parents for an A, I got a, well, that's good which I guess was better than that one time I got a C, which they didn't say that was good. They had something else to say about that. But, uh, you know, you get that report card. And, and by the way, if you're, if you're a teacher, too, report cards are every bit as bad as when you're a kid because sometimes you haven't kept up in your grades and you're giving this kid a bad grade and you're like, oh, no, I'm going to hear from this parent. <laughs> and it's not going to be a fun situation. I, had a, I did have a situation when I was teaching uh, speech and drama. In the, in the spring semester, I taught a drama class, and it was actually for credit. And, uh, but there was really no way to grade it. We just did a, a, a it was a, more of a pass-fail. But I remember the, the nine-week report cards came up for, a, uh, for, for that time. And there's this one kid in my, in my class, we didn't have a, well, we didn't have a stage to work with. So we, we built the stage for our performances. But then practices, we just used the gym and, and we would just bring in our props and we'd set them up every day. And then when we were done, we'd take them and put them all away. And so it was kind of a big process to get everything set up and put away. But this kid just kind of stood there and watched while the rest of his classmates did the work every day. And so when report cards came around that time, everybody got an S for satisfactory, except for this kid, he got an L. And I put an L on his report card and sent it home. And he came in the next day and he says, Mr. Wood? And I'm like, yeah. He says, my parents want to know what an L means on my report card. I said, well, that means lazy. That was... Um, from that day on, he was the first kid to set everything up and take everything down. And, uh, and he was not a bad kid. He just needed a little jolt there. But anyhow, these report cards come out in this letter, this new letter that gets sent to the church in, in Ephesus. Uh, just like 35 years ago, a letter is being sent. But it really is a lot more like a report card. And just to, to up the stakes a little bit, it's not Paul sending the letter this time. Paul's dead and gone and passed off the scene. The person who's sending the letter this time is Jesus. And how would you like to get a letter from Jesus? That'd be great. But how would you like to get a report card from Jesus? Because that's what's actually happening in this situation. And so the report card comes to the church in Ephesus, and they're actually doing pretty good. For instance, Jesus says, hey, how are your good deeds? Well, hey. I'd give you an A for that. Hard work, I'd give you an A for that too. Perseverance, I'd give you an A for that. So Jesus is going through this list, giving them good grades. Faithfulness, I'd give you an A for that. Opposing evil, evildoers, you got another A. Doctrinally sound, you got an A. And I'm sure these people are reading this report card thinking, hey, we're doing pretty good here. He said, let me give you an overall grade now. F, you're failing. And I wonder if they just looked at that and uh, wait a minute, we just got A-A-A-A-A-F? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But I wonder if there aren't churches, and I wonder if Waterford is one of them, where we could get A-A-A-A-A and then get an F over here. Well, let's read about it and uncover this mystery here a little bit this morning. Jesus writes, and actually it's John who's writing here what he's being told to write. He's the author of the book of Revelations. He says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, to the messenger of the church would be another way to say that. These are the words of him 
who holds the seven stars in his right hand. And we believe those seven stars are talking about the pastors of, well, it says he holds these seven stars in his right hand, and he walks among the seven golden lampstands. So we think the stars are the pastors, and it's very clear that the golden lampstands are actually seven churches. And they're all yeah, somewhat close to each other here in, in, in a region we would call Asia Minor. But he says, hey, there's... This is what Jesus is saying. He's the one who has the pastors in one hand, and he's got these churches, these seven churches, in the other hand. And this is what he is saying to the first church here at Ephesus. Verse number two, I know your deeds. You're doing great. Your hard work and your perseverance. Way to go, guys. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. There's another A. That you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not and have found them false. You're great with the doctrine. Give yourself an A there. You have persevered and you have endured hardships for my name and you have not grown weary. Jesus has some great things to say about this church, but he doesn't stop. And it gets a little dicey when you get to the next verse here because he says this, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. You're really good at duty, but you've lost your devotion. You're really good at the, like the hands of the gospel and, and, the, and the head of the gospel, but you've lost the heart of it. You're really good at doing all these rituals, all these practices, but, but the relationship is just not there. You're simply going through the motions, and it's like your Christianity is on cruise control, and it's like all of us. We can be really, really good at doing the Christian thing, sometimes because we've been doing it for so long, and at the same time, it can be really bad. In fact, in verse number 5, Jesus says this, consider how far you have fallen. If you read different translations, that's translated in different ways. And all of them are probably somewhat accurate. That word consider there comes from the Greek word that we get um, mnemonics from and like memory devices, mnemonics. Um, and it actually means to remember. So, he, so this translation, it says, consider how far you've fallen. You could also read it this way to be like, remember the height from which you have fallen. And that's some translations. Or, or you could even say it this way. How can it be that you have fallen so far? And what Jesus is saying is like, on this issue, on this issue, on this issue, on this issue, you're good. But do you realize how far you have fallen? And there's this really, this contradiction in what's going on there. But here's what's scary about this. My guess is that it was news to them. If you had called them up and said, hey, how's your church going? Hey, we're doing good, man. We're, we're, we are, uh, we're hanging in there. It's a tough times. I mean, we had this COVID thing. We're, just, uh, we're, we're still going. And we're really doctrinally sound. And, and we really are about that. And we, and we got everybody volunteering. Yeah, we're doing great. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're not, you're, you're not. Do you know how far down here you really are? You could check all your boxes but you're not checking the most important box. And so let's look at that phrase that he says there this morning. Consider how hard you have fallen. 
But let's back up to verse number four there where he says, you have forsaken the love that you had at first. Or you have forsaken your first love. And let's talk about two parts of that phrase here this morning. The first part I want to talk about is the love that you had at first or that first love. And, and what he's talking about here is when you first came to faith. When you first met Jesus, when you first invited him into your life, when you first were confronted with the reality of Christianity and you said, yeah, I believe that, and when you crossed that line of faith. And, and I want to encourage us all this morning to go back there to that time, to that moment in your life. Do you remember when that was? How did that affect you? I, I know it affected you on a cognitive level because you were making a decision there, but how did it affect you on an emotional level? How did it affect you on an, even an affections level? I, I remember when I first trusted Christ. I was young, and uh, it was in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I could take you to the house. I could take you to the bedroom, and I, I guess I couldn't take you to the bed. I don't know. My sister might still have it. But where I prayed on my knees beside my mom and, and, and invited Christ into my life, I can remember how excited I was about that, to know that my sins were forgiven, to know that I was going to heaven someday, uh, just to know that Jesus loved me that much. In fact, I was so excited about that, I told my sister about it. She was two. And I told her, you have to do this, Gaylene. And probably eight times that summer, I led her to Christ. I'm still hoping that one of those held, I'm not sure. But I was so passionate about that, even as a young child. But can you remember when you first came to Christ, how did that affect you? How did that even affect you on a feelings level? We've got this thing with faith that it's like, okay, it's very rational, and faith is rational, but it's still faith, isn't it? You can't prove everything, so you're believing some things. So, but it's not just that. There should be some emotion and some feelings and some affections and those types of things that are involved in our faith as well. That's why we have emotions. Emotions are a gift to us. And emotions should be a, a standard part and an important part in our faith, in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think that's what this letter is saying. Hey, do you have any feelings still for me? Like you did when you first trusted me? And maybe it's not just when you came to Christ. Maybe you can think back in your faith story. When was it that you were most excited about your faith? Most excited about church? Most excited about serving? Most excited about what Jesus is doing in your life? Most excited about what maybe your mission in life was supposed to be? When was that? Can you go back to that? And that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, you've left that love. In fact, he doesn't say... Just like you've forgotten about it, he says you have, and what's the first part of that verse? You have actually forsaken it. You have walked away from it. And that, what's interesting to me is I would say, even in times in my life where I realize that I've kind of gotten cold to God or where I've just kind of been going through the motions, I don't know that it's been a deliberate like, well, you know what? I'm just not going to be excited about my faith anymore. I'm just going to be casual and complacent and apathetic and indifferent over here. I don't walk away from it as much as I walk into other things. But it's choices that I make that lead me in that direction. And sometimes it's just the choice uh, to be content with the familiar. 
you know, after 50 years, there are things in the Christian life I can just do without thinking about, if you know what I mean. And after I've done them 10 times or 20 times or 50 times or 100 times or whatever, it's like I don't even think about it anymore. And I lose my enthusiasm and I stop doing it because I want to and I start just doing it because I have to or because I always have. And so familiarity can be a problem. Frustration or disappointments can be a problem in our faith. Has God ever disappointed you or frustrated you? You've prayed and prayed and prayed and just never got that answer. Or you tried to do the right thing and the whole thing just blew up in your face. And I think sometimes it's like that's where I lose my enthusiasm. Is like, well, God, you kind of hurt me and, and, and I'm going to protect myself by removing myself emotionally here. I still believe all this stuff and, and I know you're good and I know it all works out in the end, but I can't keep taking the hurt here. And so we just put up some walls there and, and to protect ourselves and we step back a little bit emotionally. Sometimes I think it's distractions. There is a lot in our world to distract us, isn't there? Uh, from, from what's going on at work to what's going on at home to what's going on in, in my bank account to what's going on with my parents to what's going on with... And there's all these things that distract us and, and that doesn't necessarily mean the name are bad. But they distract us and we, in the process, leave our first love. Fatigue... Fatigue is an issue, and I, I don't know when I've ever struggled with fatigue as much as I have in the last year. Uh, between the, the, the polarized climate that we live in and the COVID that we're dealing with and just the anger and the angst and, and everything that we see in society, and, and then we see all, all of these natural disasters, and um, it's just like, wow, it just kind of overwhelms me and wears me out. And it's easy to just get tired. And you know what? I get tired when I look at faith. It's just like, okay, one more thing. And fatigue can wear us out. Even, even knowledge can wear us out or, or, or can, uh, can distract us and lead us away from that first love. You know, what's interesting to me is when you first come to Christ, it's like, oh, I'm really excited about my faith. I don't know that much. And we want to get that knowledge up. But if you notice, as we get the knowledge up, some weird thing happens where our excitement goes down here. And, and really the idea is, is, is we got the excitement and we're just trying to pull that knowledge up to match it. But we lose our first love. But here's the good news. You can get it back and you can get your grade up. And that's what this letter is to the Ephesians. It's not to say, okay, like, you're hopeless. I'm done with you. It's to say, hey, you've got all these things going that are so good. And yet this one thing here, could you get this fixed? And so that's, the, that's what the rest of, of that verse says there. And if we go back, let's read that. Verse number four, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. And then do what? Repent and do the things that you did at first. Do we have any slides here? There we go. He says this to start with. Remember. Remember. We've talked about that already. Just go back and remember. And this is a very practical thing this morning is to take some time to remember. Go back. What was 
it's like for you. When you first learn how much Jesus loved you, you first learn that he died for you, when you first trusted that. And then he says, do what? He says, repent and do the things that you did at first. And I'm having trouble with this clicker, Dave, so if you can help me, I'll try to be clear. Repent suggests that passionless faith is possibly even sinful. And so sometimes we're like, yeah, I'm just not as excited about it as I used to be. But, you know, I was kind of a little bit extreme and fanatic then. And, and we could kind of excuse ourselves. The idea of repent here, though, is to say, you know what, you need to take this seriously. In fact, repentance really means to do a 180, to turn yourself completely around. And so it's coming to a place in our lives where we are honest about where we are, even in our emotional faith and saying, eh, I'm not where I was. And where we say, you know what, I need to get this fixed. And I need to get going back in the other direction here. And when we do that full 180 and turn things around. And I think sometimes this is where this repentance issue hits us, is where we stop and say, you know what, I'm doing all the things that I'm supposed to be doing, but my heart's not in it, and that's just not right. And we get honest and we get real before God and say, okay, I need to make a change. And then it goes to that third level, which is to return. He says, go back. Go back to where you were And he says an interesting thing here. He says, go back and do what you used to do. Which to me, I look at that and go, like, what I'm doing is not the problem. It's the passion behind what I'm doing is the problem. And yet, this is what Jesus is saying. He's like, don't just go back and do the same things, but do the same things in the same way that you used to do that. Do them with the right heart. And now where you sometimes just read the Bible because it's a habit, go back and read the Bible again. But do it because you want to hear from God. And, and where you came to church because, well, that's just what you do on Sundays. Where you start coming to church because you say, you know what, this is going to be a priority in my life. Where, where I worship with, with other believers. And where I, where I come to be encouraged in my faith. Or, you know, maybe I give because that's just a habit that I do. And, be, you know, it's, it's a good practice, especially in God's economy. That's true. But how about if we get to the place where we give because we're grateful? We talked about that last week. How is that gratitude emotionally affecting you? And, and I serve because, well, you know, Pastor Mark called me. How about if we serve because we're passionate about helping other people in their faith? And that's what it means to return, to go back to what you did and the heart that was behind what you were doing. But I think what's interesting here is that we can actually take steps to fix this problem. Well, as we keep reading here this morning, it actually gets a little bit scarier. This letter, this report card that Jesus is sending to this church, he says, If you do not repent, I will come to you and will remove your lampstand from its place. And he's talking about the church. And what he's saying here is, if you don't get this straightened out, I'm either going to shut you down or I think maybe... You're just going to become ineffective. And as a lampstand, you're going to make absolutely zero difference. You're going to bring zero light to the world. And then he says this in number, verse number 7, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And this is interesting then. 
And it tells us that this letter was not just for the church in Ephesus. It doesn't say, so you Ephesians who have ears, let, the Spirit, let, let you hear what the Spirit says to your church. It says, whoever has ears, you, me, and everybody listening to this, and these letters would have actually gotten read, read to all the churches. Let them hear what the Spirit says to all the churches. These letters were physical letters that were taken to these churches and read, but the impression is that all these letters got read to all the churches. And different churches got pointed out for different issues, and we've been reading these letters to all the churches from that point forward. Even to this morning, we're reading one of these letters to the churches. So that really means that it's not just for the Ephesians. It's for everybody who has ears that can hear. My guess is that's everybody sitting in the room this morning. It's applicable for today. And then he goes on, he says, to the one who's victorious, I will give them the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. So if you respond here negatively, the result is going to be your loss of effect. If you respond here positively, I've got some reward coming up for you. So Waterford, how are we doing? If we were to be the ones to get the letter or the report card this morning, I think we're trying to do good deeds. I think we've become more connected in our community than we have been in a long time. And I've been so excited, even dealing with all of this COVID junk for the last year, how much progress we've made in that area. We serve, you know, most of the people in our congregation serve in a volunteer role. So get an A for that. Doctrinally, I sure work at it. If you ever hear me say something that you don't think squares up with Scripture, you better say something. So let's, let's give ourselves an A. Perseverance. Uh, we might be struggling a little bit there. Um, COVID, summer, all these things have worn us down a little bit. So maybe a B, B minus, I don't know. Um, honestly, in the faithfulness area, we could do better there. In fact, I would give us a, kind of a bad grade there right now, to be completely honest. But what about the love level of our hearts? What about our relationship with Jesus Christ? What kind of grade would we get? Let me just make a couple of observations as we finish up here this morning. First of all, this. God cares more about your heart and your affections than he does about your words or your deeds. You can tell somebody that you love them and they know whether or not you mean it. And we could say to Jesus, I love you, and, and I, you know, you're important to me, and all these things, but he knows whether or not you mean it. And our I love yous, I think, in our faith can sometimes ring pretty hollow when it comes to the affection that's behind them. Because if we really love somebody, we're passionate about that person. We want to spend time with that person. We want to know more about that person. We, we, we want to understand how they think. We want to know what they value and the things that they don't like. We, we want to avoid those things. We might even want to change for that person. But sometimes we're convinced that, that if we just give God our actions or our deeds or our routines or our habits, that that's enough. And we go through the motions and we think we're okay. But we're not. Secondly, your personal condition can have a corporate effect. Your personal condition can have a corporate effect. This was actually written, this is interesting to think about, to the church at Ephesus, like 35 to 40 years after it was started. So 
many, if not most, of the original members of that church were off the scene. They had been replaced either by their kids and grandkids or maybe by other people that had come to, 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 to meet Christ. But what that meant is that they didn't all come to Christ at the moment of the church's inception. They came to Christ at different points along the line. And Jesus says to all of them, go back to your first love. He's not saying to go back to back when Paul was there. He's saying go back to when you individually came to Christ. But he's talking to the church as a whole. And the point is this. When we leave our first love individually, it has an effect on the church corporately. And sometimes it's like, well, you know what, it's just me. It's not that big of a deal. If you're a part of this church, if you're a part of God's church, if it's just you, it's a huge deal. Because it impacts and affects the lives of other people around us. In one person's lack of passion potentially affects the whole. You ever been out in a, one of those pedal boats where you pedal? Doesn't it make you mad when the person sitting next to you stops pedaling? But when you're in a church, it's kind of like that. And when somebody besides you stops pedaling, when they lose their heart and when they lose their passion and when they, they lose their, that affection for Christ, it affects everybody else, and that's what Jesus is talking about. Thirdly, there can be many reasons for the loss of your first love. We talked about that earlier. Then fourthly, keeping your first love is about prioritizing your relationship. If you're struggling in your marriage, one of the biggest things we say is like, well, improve the communication. When we do re-engage, that's one of the things we really work on is, is how are you doing with your communication? And when we have these, we call them conversations, in dialogues to, to help people actually talk to each other because he, the relationship is the issue. And, and Jesus says, sure, go back to, to what you did at the first, but, but go back to the heart that was behind it. And so if you want your first love to be right, it's just going to be simply a matter of improving and prioritizing that relationship. And then the fifth thing here, you can fall a long way without realizing it. And so this morning, the question is, have you fallen a long way and not realized it? Because that was the case for the Ephesian church. Because I think if you said, hey, how are you guys doing? They would have said, we are doing great. Check this out. Good deeds, hard work, perseverance, faithfulness, doctrinal purity. Anything else? And Jesus is like, yeah, there, there, there is one other thing. Passion. How are you doing on your passion? Like, are you excited about what's going on in your faith? What, are you excited about what's going on in your relationship with Christ? Are you excited about what's going on in the church? Jesus says this in verse number 7, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So for all of us this morning who have ears, the question is, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Because you're part of the churches. Not just those seven churches, but churches as a whole. What's he saying to you this morning? Are you willing to ask? Are you willing to ask him, hey, is this me? Are you willing to ask, 
where do I need to do better about this? Are you willing to ask, how is my love? See, we're not helpless. We're not just like, well, I don't know, I just kind of lost that loving feeling. Hope I get it back. When it comes to Jesus, Jesus says, no, you, you need to do what? You need to remember. You need to repent. You need to return. And now let me give you one last word here. You need to request. To simply say, okay, Jesus, help me to see what's real and what's true in my story. And then help me to remember, repent, return. I'm going to need help here. I don't think anything would please God more than if we bowed our hearts before him and said, please restore that passion again. I need it. Let's pray. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Did you remember this morning? Did you go back to when you first trusted Christ? When faith was alive, when that relationship was something excited, when you couldn't wait to get to church? Do you remember? Are you willing to repent? Is that what the Spirit's saying this morning? Are you ready to return? Are you willing to ask for his help? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today. If you're sitting here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, this makes no sense whatsoever. Unless you've been in a relationship where somebody, you've loved somebody and they loved you back and you felt that love, there is no love like the love of Jesus Christ. And if you've never experienced that this this morning, I'd encourage you to take that step across that line of faith and invite him into your life like I did when I was a five-year-old kid. Holy Spirit, please speak to us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me this morning? We're going to sing a last song. We're going to, talk about, we're going to sing about Jesus' love for you. Let's see if maybe that's an encouragement for the way that we love him back. And then we'll meet out there on the lawn and have some water. Next Sunday, be here. It's going to be awesome.